Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is episode number 45. Today, we'll be interviewing Coach Jacob Travis. He's the head boys coach at Model High School in Rome, Georgia. Coach Travis just finished his seventh season as coach of his alma mater, Model High School in Rome, Georgia. As an all-region and all-state player, at Model High School. Jacob helped his high school team to a region championship as a player and two state tournament appearances. He continued his playing career at Wright Hart College, become one of the first two players to play four years of basketball at the school as it transitioned from NJCAA to NAIA. Coach Travis graduated Wright Hart with honors in 2002 and chose to pursue the profession of teaching and coaching that fall at Buford High School, where he coached softball and basketball. Here in 2007, Teacher of the Year of Buford Middle School and 2007, Teacher of the Year for Buford City Schools. As an assistant, he helped the Buford basketball team to two Final Fours, two Elite Eights, and a Sweet 16, along with three region championships. In 2000. 2008, Coach Travis became the head coach at Adairsville High School in Adairsville, Georgia, leading the team to a state tournament appearance in that same year. After five seasons there, he returned to his alma mater, Model High School in Rome, Georgia. At Model, Coach Travis has led the team to five state tournaments in seven seasons, winning the first five state tournament games in state history. Coaching two region championship teams, two runner-up teams, two Elite Eight seasons, a Sweet 16 season, the Blue Devils have twice set the record for a number of wins in model high school history, both times at 23 wins, breaking the win total previously set in 1998 by Coach Travis's father, Milt Travis. Coach Travis is most passionate about the moral development of his teams. The model high school team has a model started in the 1990s, play like poor hungry dogs, PhD. And in recent years, the team has adopted the mission statement of inspire our community and build better men through basketball. This mission statement guides the program through community relations to academics and most importantly to fundraising. Jacob and his wife, Kristen, live in Rome, Georgia, with their two children, Noah, 12, and Kate, 8. Coaches, let's welcome Coach Jacob Travis from Model High School. Hey, Jacob, how are you? Uh, good, Kevin. How are you? Good, good. Man, what a great honor, man. <clears throat> Somebody from... Uh, from Model, I tell you guys have a great program out there, and I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, so you all just finished the workout, just trying to trying to get your kids yeah, better? Yeah, you may hear it in the background. Uh, yeah, we had a four-on-one workout. We, we do that most days after school. So very fortunate to have kids that want to do that, want to be here in the gym. Yeah, that's great. Um, <clears throat> well, I, I tell you, I appreciate you coming on, and, and what I try to do uh, – I coach over here at Lake Oconee Academy. I'm a girls basketball coach, and uh, I do this for the love of the game. Man, I just love talking to all you guys and getting different perspectives and stealing ideas. I tell you, man, I, I speak to some great coaches, and I appreciate you I've joining been us. Listening to some of them, uh, you got great insight in a lot of those people. But I'm—I got to warn you—I'm kind of a junkie on it. So you're going to have to 
if I get going too much in one direction, you'll have to pull me back because I will. I'll launch into everything. Just be ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And give me some feedback, man. I tell you, this is I tell you, I, I have a lot of coaches that um contact me and say, Man, I love that podcast and so forth. I'm really trying to expand it. Um, and I got coaches, I tell you, man, some some coaches from all over the the country. Try to get little mix, uh, coach, try to get, you know, college and try to get small college. I uh, leadership guys. Um, but I love talking to you high school guys, man, girls and boys. So I know I'm a girls coach, but it's all the it same. Is all, it is all um, the same. We have great girls basketball model. So it is, we learn as much from them as they do from us. Um, sometimes more, I think, I think we get the benefit of that one. Yeah, no doubt coach. I, I tell you what, I, I remember I met your dad. It was interesting. I met your dad. He was talking to you, uh, Mark Gaines at the, right. um, uh, final four and, and I was talking to Mark and your dad says, Hey, I know you from something. I, I listened to your podcast. I, I said, man, that's a great honor, man. When I uh, Travis says something <laughs> like that, uh, I was like, right, Milt, what are you doing, man? Don't you have something better to do? Um, but uh, he says he really enjoys it. I'm trying to get both you and your dad on. I think that'd he, be cool. He's busier than a one-legged man in a butt kicking contest with coaching and he, he will never <laughs> retire. Um, and I doubt I will either, but I like what you're doing, Kevin. You've got a good blend. You've got guys from different walks of life. You got leadership people. You've got coaches. You got people who are in the in the classroom all day too, like I am, and then te- and coaching and teaching at the same time. I, I really like it. It gives me different perspectives because it's you know everybody has uh, some level of genius we can all learn from. Um, so that's yeah that's great yeah yeah um and, and please add i mean if you have people that you know yeah um i'd be glad to get it also I, I always ask that i try to ask them after the podcast and say hey if you have anybody um because I, I just i just really enjoy it and if you're getting things out of it just one coach i know it's it's worth my time uh tell me about your journey i mean tell me about i know you're you're from that area and you did play for your dad is correct, that correct correct or? yes sir yeah, tell me about that and how you kind of just eventually got into coaching. Well, you know, I, I've, I've got my hand in college in several things um, and didn't think I'd ever coach. Grew up in the gym, grew up late nights after ball games, watching my parents clean the gym even, and just thought there's no way I'll ever coach, much less at model where I grew up. Just didn't, just didn't want – you know, when you're young, you don't think that's the life you want. Um, and not to sound super spiritual, God knows better than we do. Um, but I, I um, went to college thinking I was going to go into ministry, even started applying to seminaries and uh, got into coaching sort of on accident. My dad actually left here the same summer that I was leaving college and uh, I got engaged. And, um, you know, even I even thought about college coaching, small college coaching, had a couple of little bikes and directions you could go with that. Um, but I fell in love with teaching in the classroom, too. And even a year or two into teaching, I thought, I'll go, I'll go on to seminary or I'll do something different. And uh, my wife and I joke about that. She knows, and she could probably tell you, I, I, could, I could disappear tomorrow if I felt like I was supposed to. Um, but I, I know I'm where I'm <laughs> supposed to be, doing what I'm supposed to be. And uh, I used to worry about what I was doing. And I think the older I get, I, I, a lot of your, your podcast guys are like this. The older, older we get, especially in coaching, you realize it's not what you're doing that matters so much. It's, it's how you're doing it and why you're doing it. And um, so I've landed here back at Model. I graduated college, followed, went with dad to Buford, and we had five good years together. And at 26, I just wanted to be a head coach. 
And I don't know why I wanted to so young. I think that was a mistake. I went to Daresville High School, which I really think I owe them money and time and wish I could go back and do my first few years better. <laughs> yeah, everybody does. Oh, right. I hope I say that in ten I hope I say that in ten more <laughs> yeah. years, right? And, and, exactly uh, yes and got started there coach five years and then after five years I, I got a call from from model and it was sort of one of those no I'm still not coming back calls but within two or three days you have all those sort of uh life prophets people who walk up to you even some of my best friends in Adairsville hey man you ought to strongly consider doing that and uh and I left and came back and it's been a great seven years um so I, look, I love coaching basketball. My wife can tell you, we, my dad kind of passed this down to my brother and me both. We read all the time. Um, I've got a brother that's a college assistant coach uh, for 15 years. He's been at North Georgia that whole time. And my dad's a coach. And we go to the, we, if we all end up at the beach together, we're wading up to our waist sometimes talking about random basketball things that it's like a secret <laughs> language, isn't it, Kevin? It's sort of a, a, a why, why are you talking about free throw blockouts? Other people walk by, so they have no idea what we're doing. Um, and my and my sister in law oftentimes says, it's, it's, "I wonder if y'all are secretly in the mafia when y'all start talking basketball. If it's code for something else." But uh, right, but exactly. that's where I am, and I, I think <laughs> I, I, you know, I hope I hope I get to stay here at Model for a while. That's something that we've uh, we've decided as a family. But I married a girl from Waleska, where Reinhardt is, where. Um, a lot of us came from that co- are coaching in the area now, and um, we really like where we live. Rome, Georgia is a, a spectacular town. Um, sounds like I need to get to your neck of the woods at some point. You guys, yeah, sounds <laughs> exactly. like the lake's not too shabby yes. down there, man. It's a great area out here. Matter of fact, we have – it's a brand-new charter school. Uh, matter of fact, our boys coach is Mike Brooker. I don't know. Uh, you know, Mike from the past, he played at North Carolina, played at Brentwood in Sandersville. Uh, his wife uh, is the softball coach and boys soccer coach. But it's a it's a small charter school. We're building from scratch, yeah. Jacob, here. So um, now our girls, we've had some success, uh, not because of the coaching. It's because you know, I have some pretty good players and uh, our boys have been struggling. They play in a really tough region. So, but it's a great challenge, though. It's it's kind of great starting a program from the beginning. Yeah, don't you think? I've never gotten to do that, and I've always been curious when you when you do start something from the ground up. I've seen people do that with new schools or consolidation. Um, you can, you get a chance to brand it probably uh, in your way, um, or at least try to. So, I've always been curious how that would work. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it's good, Jacob, because I um it's. And that's why we're going to talk about your philosophy and your mission statement. Uh, but really, there's no legacy. So that's it's. I was listening to a uh, another podcast today about you know kind of adding to the legacy. We're actually building a legacy, good or bad. We're building one, and um, the kids kind of really kind of they just they just love that. They love being the first to do something. They're really motivated by that. Um, but I got a really motivated crowd here they love they love basketball hey tell me about um your dad and the impact he had on you and just what what did, what did he what did he give to you what are some things that he really kind of you know, taught you I, I don't know any way to describe my dad um other than gritty um we have a slogan or a saying that i brought back to model when i came back poor hungry dog and that was something they said, pl- play like a poor hungry yeah. dog. And, and I'll make kids think about it all the time on the side of the street here. 
you see a if you see a stray dog, you know, take a picture and send it to me because it's about playing hard, about living your life that way, about being the best you can be all the time. I, I was fortunate enough to get to coach with him after I graduated college too. So my relationship with him took a whole new role. You know, I got mentored by him um, as opposed to just being his son. So you talk about legacy. He's left that in his kids, you know, my brother and my sister. My sister even coached for a year or two. Um, and I, it, I think it, it taught me that coaching is a ministry. That's probably the biggest thing he left, he left with us or is, you know, is leaving with us as we speak. So he is uh, – and he's the ultimate mentor. My dad – you know, you, you know when you've been mentored, Kevin, because you could pass that mentoring on to someone else, right? And like being the yeah, same. for sure. But my dad is, my dad is that guy, and he's mentoring a lot of people. And uh, I'm closing in on forty, and I start, I'm starting to realize in the last few years, I've started to realize, okay, I'm supposed to be passing this on to people, like I'm supposed to be doing this for other people, like he is. Um, and it, you know, today it's got we got a lot of programs and different angles and and. People are talking about buy this program. You know, if you're an education man, you've seen a, a, a different program in a box every year, curric- curriculum in a box. For sure. Um, but with him, it's, it's just out of generosity and love for the game and love for people and uh, that ability to connect and relate. It's, it's made a big difference in how I handle myself on a daily basis, not getting too frustrated, not letting the highs be too high and the lows too low, that kind of deal. Um, but the enthusiasm for it, and like I said, poor hungry dog, gritty, play harder, don't play at all. Those are things we said growing up, and I didn't realize everybody didn't grow up that way. You know, it took, it's taken me a while to realize that. Um, right. I love it. I, I might even – I'm stealing stuff all the time, Coach. So, if you see PhD on our practice gear, well, don't get too when, upset. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't get upset. I think it was Patino about 10 years ago came out with rebound rules or – I read that book and he talked about passion, yeah. hunger, and drive or one, you know, something like that. And uh, I realized he's talking PhD and we never even used poor hungry dog as PhD until I came back and I realized, Hey, it stands for PhD. You know, like I, so get your PhD is what I tell him now. You got to get your PhD. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I love that. And you got to have an identity, don't you? I mean, particularly, it sounds like to me, you guys are in a tough region. And we play in a tough region too. So tell me about what's your identity. I mean, what's your and talk about your mission statement because I love that. I love how you have that spilled out because I think all your great coaches have their mission statement, their core values, things like that spilled out. But it sounds like you guys well, live I, it out there. I would love to say that we live it all the time. I think I have to reiterate it. Um, I'll tell you, just a couple of weeks ago, my dad went to a conference and called me later on and said, you got to got to get a mission statement. And he was giving me these pointers, and I sent it to him. I was like, we have a mission statement. you know. And some of my players know it. I mean, all of my players could tell you it. It's IOC, BBM, inspire our community and build better men through basketball. And that that mission statement is – it's it's what we always did. But a few years back, I, I read more of Joe Airman's stuff, uh, Inside Out Coaching, and – um, yeah, we had a really sure. good run of players here, and I thought, you know what, this that's not enough. We had we had some really good seasons, um, and, and that wasn't enough. I, I realized we got to in our culture today. I really believe we've got to spell out and be very, very intentional about what we're doing because I we assume our students and our players were raised the way we were, and they're not. We assume they're from the same background that we grew up in, and we're not. I always. 
I, I think it's like putting a couple of rungs back on the ladder. Not that people are below us and we're trying to help them up, but hey, we need to be very clear about with parents, say what we're doing here. It's it's about more than winning. Uh, we we want to win, obviously. But the the mission statement idea is we're here to inspire our community. And then 20 years from now, we want to know that we built better men. And then everything we do, the ending of that is through basketball. We do everything we do through basketball. Or uh, I would say um, through our program. Even if we fundraise, it's through basketball. We host camps. Uh, My dad started a camp here 36 years ago, I think. And now between the boys and the girls, we're rolling 450 kids a summer, 400 kids in two weeks. Um, Every year it gets bigger. And that's a big fundraiser. Um, then we have Saturday morning sessions in the fall. We do all those things are not just branding our program, but they're building our program because kids are learning the game. We're trying to elevate. And, uh, and I, I always say it this way too. I, um, I don't, I'm not good at selling Jolly Ranchers. I have no training or experience <laughs> in selling donuts at four way stop. Um, and, and yeah. sometimes there's other ways to, to raise funds, but if I can do it through basketball and at the same time, uh, develop better basketball players and give people a reason to keep coming back and build anticipation for the season. Um, I just think that's the way to do it. So the mission statement is everything. It's, it's how we practice, how we play, how we prepare. Um, and, and I want to say this too. I think a lot of people think your mission statement is going to be a kind of like culture. Like you just set your culture and then it, you know, it drives itself. And that is so far from the truth. Um, yeah, I think it's something you have to fight for every day. Um, that John, what's that John Gordon quote, Kevin? The your culture's like a tree; it takes years to grow, but it can be chopped down in a day. Oh, absolutely! And that mission yeah. statement: we return to it. It's something you return to, you put out front, and then you go back to it when you need it with kids. When kids get in trouble, when when their grades aren't great right now, I'm chasing them down the hallways every day right now. Um, who do you want to be? You know. So hopefully, in the future, that mission statement means more to some of them than it does now. But um, Hey, you're never not on mission, right? You're never not on mission. You may not be on the basketball court, but you may be in the grocery store, and we want to remind them of that too, that you're representing us. And uh, we want to make people in our community part of the model community proud. Yes, and I love your community. And I I tell you what I see. A lot of times the eye test is very – I guess I've just been doing this too long. I went to that game, and I saw saw a lot of people in blue. At your game. And I can just tell sometimes you guys were tightly knit. You're all hanging out together. You had a lot of people in the stands uh, in your girls' um, final four game. And it was unfortunate you guys lost, but you, got, you, had, a, you had a pretty good looking oh, yeah. team. Um, but I, I just saw, I did, you just seemed like a tight knit community. Tell me about your community around there. It, it just sounds like a well, great place to people get work confused and live. Sometimes as to what kind of school we are, we're a public school, we got a new building. And it's, it's um, model's name, and sometimes I get the history on it wrong, was where they built the model school for different areas. And then eventually the name was changed to whatever community or after somebody, and they never did. And uh, I, I grew up in a mill village. Mm. There's actually two, mil, two or three mill villages in our school district, but there were these mill villages, you know, in and, and the uh, 1900s that came in. Um, gave the southern Appalachian foothill people good jobs. Well, one of them is how our school Yeah. Can you hear me?
um, that's what makes the community special. I think is that there's a whole lot of people who are um, generationally here. We're not. We're from Kentucky originally. Um, but it's kind of an expectation in basketball now that we win. So, did I lose you, Kevin? Are you still there? It did. Yeah. Okay. Just kind of. I, it just went. Sometimes the Wi-Fi is yeah. crazy a little bit here. Uh, just kind of review that. I got. I got towards the end of it. Can you go back again, yeah, coach? Just a little bit. We're built on a mill village originally. We're right outside of Rome, Georgia now. But um, I think there's a blue collar work ethic that's kind of been in our community for years. And uh, not something that you talk about or you brag about. It's just the way you were raised. You were raised to work hard. And uh, we want to fight entitlement that way. But um, like our girls coach, one of the winningest coaches I know of, went to school with her, went to kindergarten with her. Um, and she's been successful, ultra successful, but she doesn't brag about that. You know, that's, that's who she expects to be. And um, that's fun to share that kind of culture with them. Um, and, but our community is really tight knit. It, it is interesting. We're a county school, but we've been around so long. We're a lot of the newer county schools in the metro area and stuff. I, I think we have more of a soul in the community than most schools like us have. Um, so it's been a blast for me because I get to move back and, you know, seven years ago and see people I haven't seen it forever. Um, but the community's tight and uh, has high expectations all in the same, the same time. And you don't, I mean, I've, I've been around a little bit, so I, I, you don't see that that much anymore. I, I just, you see a lot of schools popping up here. You see a lot of schools popping up, particularly in Atlanta and oh, so yeah. forth. You don't see tight knit communities. May, maybe in South Georgia, and I, tell me if I'm wrong, but I just don't see it that often. And when you see it, man, it, it's you can't really explain it. You can yeah, feel it. Can't I think you? that like there's four small high schools in Floyd County. We share a school system. All four schools are under a thousand kids. That you don't see that anywhere else in the state anymore. And uh, I think it presents some obstacles to how you fund. And you know, the state doesn't. You, know, you got one county systems. I mean, one school counties city school systems, you don't have anybody with these four small high schools. Um, and like I said, there's obstacles to that, but at the same time, you have four very distinct, um, and I think we're the best, obviously, <laughs> but four very distinct communities um, that are smaller. So we get the advantage of having a small high school um, that you don't see in the metro area at all. And at the same time, we have the same opportunities offered to our kids most of the time that those schools do as well. Yeah, you guys are very blessed. You guys are getting the maximum out of your kids. I I, I know that for sure. Tell me about Coach um, your Buford days. I'm a big fan. I, I Gene Durden's a mentor of mine. I can call up Gene right now. He would sit down, talk to me for an hour. Um, you know, they they have some great coaches over there. What did you learn from your culture at Buford that carried you over? to you, what you're doing well, I, now. I think the biggest thing you learned there, and, and we got there when it was still, it had just turned double A. So it's, it's 17, okay. yeah, I yeah, 17 that years ago now. <laughs> and a lot has changed there. I, I, I drive through there on occasion. My parents still live in that area part of the time. And, and I drive through there and think, well, that's changed a bit. But I, I think your pursuit of excellence. Um, what's funny is I learned some of the things I grew up expecting, the professionalism of coaches, um, expecting coaches to coach and to do the best they can and, and uh, pursue winning, not at all costs, but to be better people. 
um, I think I learned a lot of that in Buford. Hey, I was blessed to have great mentors as teachers. I walked into an eighth grade language arts classroom and I was surrounded by veteran teachers and they taught me not to whine or complain. They had one rule, the Nike rule, they called it, just do it. You know, you show up for work, you do what your boss tells you to do. That's part of teaching too. And, um, that was a blessing in and of itself. I was in a different building than my dad. So I got to coach with him. I coached softball there too, which was an excellent program. Um, and so I, I think that pursuit of excellence, uh, I, their community was great too. You know, there's expectations there. It's a very tight knit place as well. And then you're, you're working for Dexter Wood, uh, who's a legend. Um, and then you're right. also, you're getting to be around Gene. Gene may have moved in year two or three. We were there. You get to be around Gene. Uh, and okay. learn from learn from him. I think the best thing he he told me was when I left, you know, just be yourself. Don't try to be somebody else. And I still wonder if that was good advice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I don't know if I always like myself. Uh, I, I think it's great advice. Yeah, you have to be. You got to be true to yourself because people will see through that. You know that, right, Big Coach? Time. Big time. I mean, people will see. Um, but yeah, they're but you know, Buford. It's one of those things that people see. They go, man, you know, it's like a college, you know, they recruit and all these negative things. It's like, uh, you know, they have great coaches there. Now they have kids, they have a lot of kids and so forth. They have the right culture from top to bottom. Yeah. I mean, they're doing it the the right way. Um, But, and that's where I think a lot of schools can learn. A lot of schools can. And I think this is something that you learn the older you get too, is that the obstacles, you know, Buford, paid a price early on to become what they became um, when they were smaller, single A, um, and didn't have quite the funding that maybe Gwinnett County Schools had. And they never, they never gave in to becoming part of that county system, which has paid off. But I think you have to look at your school and, and see the obstacles as being something that are also your, your strengths, right? I mean, our strengths are our weaknesses and vice versa. So their small school ends up being – something that, you know, and, and people are going to throw a lot of shade and hatred toward any school that wins. Um, but they, they understood the advantages they had in that area and they took advantage of it. I mean, that's just being the small school in that area for years was not cool. <laughs> it didn't work out well. And then as time went on, they had great tradition in athletes anyway, you know, being in a metropolitan area where people are buying a house and they are looking at what, how, uh, what school their kids are going to go to. I mean, that makes a big difference. So, yeah, that, I mean, and, and that's the reality. You can't try to be Buford or you can't try to be somebody you're not, even at Model or or um, my run at Adairsville. I just tell people you need to be the best version of you and know what people are looking for as a school, school system, or as a program. Um, so I, I, what I learned is try to be the best you can, you know, where you are, what you have. That's a bit Lombardi quote, I guess. I think it is. But at the same time, when I got back to Model, I can spot – okay, there were a lot of the right things going on here when I was growing up too. And that excellence is here too. And we've got to keep pursuing that. We've got to uh, become obsessed, in my opinion, to improving our school. And and as the culture changes in society, um, making sure we don't have a lower standard or we explain, like I said, clarify to the people around, hey, this is why we do what we do the way we do it. I tell you, I mean, you got you got you got it going on there a model and so forth i, I tell you what i want i want to pick your brain because i want my, my listeners to kind of hear how are you building your program so let, i have some questions for you here talk to me about leadership because i think it's i don't know if all coaches are actually 
building leaders in their program. What are you doing to build great leaders? Well, that model? I, you know what? I wish I could say there's a package or a plan we use on that. But number one is we have to, build, you know, we're, we're, I'm a relationship guy. That's my strength. Um, but I live, I get to live with a lady who's a good educator. You know, I, I got to grow up with good educators. So I took a lot of that for granted, um, that people knew how to lead themselves. You know, shock is smart. First level of leadership is lead yourself. And that is, man, I think that's the, the foundation of leadership for high school kids uh, is who are, who are you and can you lead yourself to where you want to be? What do you really want out of this deal? Um, and then realize everybody's looking at you. You know, everybody's watching you. I, I stole from Ro, uh, TJ Rosine a few years ago, the days of the week, and I don't even use it in basketball. A couple of years ago, we had a kid pass away, unfortunately, in one of our classes, and he was, he was in our program very briefly. But I, I started using days of the week in class. You know, like, okay, Monday motivation, before we get into our lesson, here's a quote for you. Here's a picture. I I think visual images with kids today are a big deal. Um, The poor hungry dog or the – just a picture of something. I mean, they do everything through pictures. That's that Tim Tim, Tim Elmore Habitude stuff. This year, year we went to uh, the DISC profile. You've done that before, haven't you? The D-I-S-C. Um. I have not. No, oh, tell me about it. Profile, and it's been around for a good while. We hired a guy to come in to do it with our, our players on late practice days, on Wednesdays. And he did it for two weeks, and it was fun to see where the, you know, I knew I knew I was an inspiration guy. I wanted to be inspiring. Um, the D is for dominant, and, and most people are ins- inspirational or dominant, and then they're steady and there's cautious. And, and I've got three assistants who sit on my bench who are not like me, which is good. I've actually looked for that. One of them I, I played against growing up. One of them is one of my better friends that uh, we played in college against each other. And uh, I've been very fortunate to have them around. Um, so I, 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 you ask how we build leadership. I think I'm growing from the people I'm around um, more than they're growing from me as the head coach. It's very humbling. But when you do that personality profile, we had a local pastor uh, guy who's certified in it. When he came in and, and taught, uh, taught us about it, you kind of realize, okay, maybe I'm not getting to this kid and teaching this kid the way I should be. He's a different blend of maybe he's inspirational, but he's also very cautious. He thinks too much about things. Um, And, you know, you can predict the dominant personality guys who are, who are always trying to, um, to be in charge or want to be in charge. And, uh, and, and the biggest deal about the personality profiles is I, for me as a coach, I want them to understand, I don't have it figured out. I think most of them and their parents know that. But I don't have it figured out. I'm trying to learn you. You need to get to know me better. Um, and we need to feed off each other that way. Well, we, we do a leadership thing in the summer um, where the guys get to be, you know, they get to win practice. We, our assistant coaches pick who wins that practice in the summer. And that team, we, we do that goal shooting, all grades together. And that team wins for the day. It might be a Gatorade day win that day. Some days they may not win anything. We actually do it during the season, too. And one Friday afternoon, we were going in the state tournament probably five or six years ago. And I looked over at my assistant and said, man, it's getting late in the year. I don't like them. They don't like me. You know, we're, we're playing for something special. Everybody knows that. And I said, I got an idea. And we had talked about it before. And he said, I don't know. I don't know. And we put them on teams and our – and our patino lines, as we call them, on the sideline. And we told them whoever has the most spirit, the body language, you know, the, the high fives, all that, all that jazz everybody talks about. Um, 
whoever plays the hardest, the poor hungry dog, um, that team's going to win for the day. And I let my assistants choose, so it's out of my hands. And most practice plans, we have the teams listed at the bottom, and it's usually a junior or a senior. Um, that's something I think is true about leadership. I do think juniors and seniors at times, they, they, they've been there. They've done it. I think they're your natural leaders. But you have to pair the teams up sometimes with even sophomores that are super strong leaders. We had a, we had a really strong sophomore leader this year. So that, that's how we talk about leadership in practice. You know, um, are you leading yourself? Do your teammates follow you? Do, you? do you know where you're going? Do you know what you want out of the deal? Um, and then after practice, we try to celebrate and reward who's had, uh, who's had good leadership. We even do the shout-out thing every day after practice, you know. Tell us what's, who's so, what so-and-so did, and they get some praise and celebration from their teammates. And that's just stuff I'm not good at. So it's taken some years for me to get used to, you know, having fun at the end of practice. Uh, we, most of us grew up, and we were coached old school, right? And – yeah, we coached no the way we were coached. And, and I played for my dad, played for a guy that we all, a lot of us played for at uh, Reinhardt named Gerald Sharp. And, hey, we were just tough-nosed kids, and they made us tough. Um, but we're, I'm trying to always learn the better way. There's some other way to teach leadership or some other way to make practice competitive um, and still have an extremely high standard. So ho- hopefully I answered your question there. Yeah, yeah. You did. I, I'm here writing writing notes. Um and I always go back later and so forth on that kind of um, – I mean, I, I'm picking up things all the time. I had a guy, Adam Bradley. I don't know yep. if you listen to him. He's a leadership expert. He has. He told me – because we do the same thing at the end of practice. Um, uh, we just call it the circle of honor. And uh, he told me, he says, Coach, you, you don't do it enough. I said, what? I said, you got to do it every day. You got to keep um, – you got you to do it all the time because you got to give these kids practice. They don't have enough practice about talking about other people positively, being grateful. Well, I would, um, I would love to know. So you can tell me, Kevin, I would love to know how do I make some kids do it? Because I don't make the kids say positive things. And what's funny is, is the kids who go the hardest are usually poor hungry dog, right? They're usually the same kids who are going to give shout outs to others first. You'll find that their willingness to, to go hard on the court, their willingness to drive on the court, um, uh, also, correlates to how they want to compliment compliment their teammates and so we've noticed over the years at least I have at the end of practice some kids get used to complimenting each other and then I think it gives them an incentive you know they're putting themselves out there in a vulnerable way um, which is easy not to do today for kids Um, but the positivity thing has been big for me because if you've ever seen me coach I'm a nut I'm a nut man I I mean I'm intense I'm all (laughs) over the place right Um, I come across as not positive minded. Uh, I read a book years ago in a grad course called positivity by Barbara Fredrickson. And she's out of UNC Chapel Hill. And, you know, it's the three to one positivity ratio. And um, I, I, I work on that all the time. She's actually got positivity ratio.com. You go in there and take this little quiz on your phone, even, you know, to, to like a grit scale. If you've ever heard of the book grit by Angela Duckworth, if you go do that, you can go online and, you can go yeah. on and, and have your grit scale test and you can have your positivity ratio test. But for me, I know they need a whole lot more positivity. Um, we are, we are negative as humans. I think we're like cavemen. We're walking outside our cave, waiting on a saber tooth tiger to eat us. So, so we're naturally negative. And right. um, one of the things Barbara Fredrickson said is that positivity has to be real, which I completely agree with. I, I don't like the fake stuff and the kids don't either. 
they live in a world of, of Insta chat and fake book and snapfish and, and you know, tweet deck, <laughs> and we're going to tell them something fake and they can smell that you coach, they can smell that a mile away. Um, so when people are real about it, I mean, saying good shot doesn't work or good job or um, good effort. They, when we're real about something specific, I think it carries a whole lot of weight in a culture full of uh, selfies. You know, and I think being vulnerable to do that as a coach is a big deal for me and a big deal for them. But she talked about positivity being needed as the wind in your sail, and that criticism that we need is the, uh, is the rudder to the ship. It's what's going, giving you the right direction. I mean, we got to criticize people. We need to be criticized. We'd be stupid not to listen to it. But we need the positivity telling us we're going the right direction, that we're going to be stuck in the middle of the water going nowhere. So I, I've had to internalize that and say, man, I want to tell them the negatives. It's so naturally easy to do that. Um, but I've got to fight for the positive a lot more. And the older I get, the better I get at it. My, my current players wouldn't believe that. But my players <laughs> 10 years ago – would probably come see a practice or hear me speak and go, what happened to you? Um, so. Yeah, we just get a little wiser, don't we? I, um, but I, I totally agree. I, um, I, I tell you the positive, man, you got to really, you got to really look for it, coach, because you're, you're exactly right. It's so easy to find in, in like in one of my practices, you can find so much right. negative. Right. Um, and I, I have that are working on that and I got to train them, but I, I just, I feel like my, my strength is finding positive. I can find positive out of the, the kid who's the, you know, 12th player. Um, I don't know if that's just a, a strength that I have. And then you got to teach the kids um, how to say it to each other. And I don't think kids know how to communicate. And that's, that's kind of a big thing in our program that we try to do many times during practice what we have timeouts in practice we'll stop and uh we'll talk about that so but i know it's a it's a it's a really a key part of our right. program here is that communication? you're right they're, they're they're facetimers i mean they, they're screen screen kids and i think that uh the more we can make them talk to each other the more the more they like it too yeah i think they love that part of it coach yeah absolutely tell me about this um uh tom Izzo. This last situation, I know you know about you seeing him yelling at his player. I think that's gotten like ridiculous pub, man. It's like, leave the guy alone. He's intense. It's like, I don't think, and, and maybe you feel differently. I, I feel like, man, I, I get intense on the sideline too, and I got to be careful with girls. I think the guy's true blood, man. I just think he cares about his kids yeah, probably you know, too I, much. I don't get that intense, okay? I, I'm just kidding. I'm terrible, and I relate com I relate completely. <laughs> There's a young man that played for me years ago, and I stopped him at half court in a school in Cherokee County and let him have it. And I knew after that game he was not, uh, he was not a popsicle. He did not melt as a sophomore point guard. He went back on the floor and, and led us to victory, and he's finishing up college baseball right now. And I, I thought, what was I thinking? Why did I go outside myself like that? But I do that often. I, I don't think it works if you're trying to motivate people all the time. But Izzo said it, and I think the, the one reason – and I'm going to say this first of all, too. We did that personality stuff with our team. I have been beaten by many a quiet coach, you know. I've been beaten by quiet kids. I've seen my best friend growing up was a quiet kid, but a tenacious competitor. Um, and we get trapped into, you know, rating people and grading people by their personality, and I think that's just that's, – that's silly. 
I don't think I'm a better coach because I'm I'm a fire breather like that. Um, but Izzo is Izzo is who he is. His players know who he is. Um, we've got a microphone and a camera on every single thing in our culture now. It's every political thing. It's every sports thing. It's everything. And I I think we give a lot of and I'm just as guilty as anybody. But I think we give a lot of credence to what people say. I mean we. We get on Twitter and get offended by somebody who we don't know. Why are we offended by what somebody we don't know says? And I look at Izzo and I think, here he is, chewing butt, you know, as the way I was coached. Um, and I'm thankful for the way I was coached. But there's a sense of urgency in a basketball game that he's making a point to that kid. This continues, we're going to lose. You know, that if he said it normally, hey, man, if this continues, we're going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that exactly. I don't think yeah. that gets across. Now I've learned <laughs> this: the more I do that, the less effective it is. So I'm having to be better about when I when I fuss and chew, um, because it's not effective all the time. It's very rarely effective. Um, but that moment that this is a big deal, you know, when you're when you're talking to your own children, this is a big deal. We 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 talk differently in those moments. It's a sense of urgency, and if you've never coached basketball or you're not much of a um you're not much of a fire breather then you're going to take exception to it but i think people who are taking exception to it are just you know sharing their opinions man everybody's got an opinion you're right and and i think you got to pick your times right coach you got to pick your times um and i i don't yell a lot myself but there's times when i do get on them but I think you got to pick the right times. I think your really good coaches know when. Well, that, and that's so. the older we get. Hopefully, the better we get at it. Um, and, and this is what <laughs> I know too: is being a guy who yelled and yells a lot at times. It does not make me an effective coach. You know, it does not make me an effective coach at all. As a matter of fact, I think it makes me ineffective when I yell sometimes, just like it makes some people ineffective when they don't yell, you know, it's a matter of being effective or not. And, um, and I, you look, I'm, I've been coaching 17 years. Everybody's ever played for me can tell you I'm a yeller. I'm a screamer. I'm a cra I'm crazy. But the relationship side of it that I know Izzo is probably really good at doing. Um, you have to have that. You have to have the trust factor and, um, and you have to say you're sorry when you cross that line. That's something I've gotten better at doing is telling my players, Hey, I was wrong just dead wrong, you know, dead wrong how I reacted at practice or dead wrong what I said to you. Um, and, and, yeah, like I said, I think people are making a bigger deal out of it than it is. I, I think Izzo and all of us know that we, ca we can't just stay the same as coaches. We've got to look for a, a better way. Um, you ever listen to Andy Stanley's leadership podcast? I know who um, he is, but I, no, no, I, I – not, but I've heard him before. Yeah, and he's good. Podcast. He had a line yeah. where he said, "Marry, uh, date the model." And I thought, "Huh? What's he talking about? Here? Date the model and marry the mission." And you know, if you're dating the model, you know that means you're, the, the way you carry out your mission may change. The mission never changes. The standard has not changed. You know, you hear coaches say that, and uh, but you know, there's a better way. Um, I do think there's some truth to the fact that like Jay Billis and a lot of these people are calling out that things are changing. Yeah, things are changing. And I think we got to change with it. So uh, Tom Izzo, 
I'm sure he has changed some things, but man, that's you're right. That's gotten a whole lot of publicity, and I didn't think it was that big a deal at the time either. Yeah, I, I didn't either. But uh, you, I, and I guarantee he went back. Yeah, that's a great point you mentioned. That usually when you go back to your kids, they say, "Coach, that's not a problem, man. I appreciate that." And you would you would think they would be upset. A lot of times the kids aren't upset. They probably appreciate that. You know, when you show that you show well, that I'm passion. The one that stupid, man. I mean, that's what, that's what I've realized. <laughs> I'm the one that looks stupid. I watch game film and watch myself and think, well, you look like a moron over there. And I'll ask my wife after the games, how did I do tonight? Eh, you weren't too bad. You were okay. You know, and I get the rating from her. Uh, did I lose it? You get some tough oh, yeah. grades oh, yeah. there. <laughs> um, hey, give me your top three. Uh, in basketball, your on-court, your on-court system or strategy. I, I have three things that we want to do great here. Well, hopefully we can get one done. But, you know, we talk about rebounding one, taking care of the ball, defensive stops in the paint. Give me your top three. Selection. I believe this. TJ and those guys have, set, have put that into a proper, uh, you know, uh, packaging, I think, for PGC clinics. But shot selection. They talk about it even in their camps, and I, I agree 100%. If you shoot bad shots, you can't play defense. You know, you can't even play defense from bad shots, and you can't score, first of all. So, number one is shot selection. Just we've got to take good shots. And, and, and the, what's funny about shot selection is when you, you look at it, it's an iceberg, and you realize, okay, so if you want me to quit talking to you about your shot selection, Hey, man, that means you're working right now. Some of these guys just left the gym a few minutes ago. I can see out the window from my classroom here. Um, you're going to be in here working in the gym, and you're going to be able to hit shots in a couple of our drills like we tell you to the number you have to, um, and then you're going to hit them in games. And I, I think shot selection is a huge, huge deal because you, you can't play good defense from shot selection, and it's not equal opportunity. It's just not. You know, it's not – I can shoot and you can't shoot. So, don't get me wrong, Kevin. I can put five shooters on the court. They're all going to shoot it when they're open. Um, but that's one of the hardest things, for mm -hmm. I think, for high school boys is that ego. Well, I, I'm open. I should shoot it. Their mama's screaming, shoot it, shoot it, baby, right, with the baby on the hip. Go. Why, why aren't you shooting it? Well, because he, he, he can't make it. Um, so, number one, shot selection. I think I beat that horse to death. Number two. It's turnovers. <laughs> you know, I, I think turnovers go right there with shot selection. What you're going to think is I'm telling you three offensive stats, but I think all three offensive stats are about defense because there's a cycle to it no matter what you do. Um, shot selection, mm -hmm. what was the second one I just said? I just told you it was um, turnovers. We try turnovers. to get 15 or less, and yeah. what's funny is that seems doable, but it depends on how fast we're playing that year. Our system never changes. Um, we run some read and react stuff. We run the read and react. We do run it. Um, I was around for Coach Torbett putting it in in the early days. And uh, I love that stuff. think it's good. It's not the only thing we do, but I think that is a really good system to have in place first. Um, and then the third thing is we talk a lot about um, – What was it? Uh, we're talking about offense here, aren't we? Where we talk about free throws. We want to shoot a certain percentage from free throws – and we actually every year come up with a number for how many free throws we want to shoot. I, I had a terrible free throw shooting team this year. And we lost to the – we're pretty young, actually. We're coming back with almost everybody. But 
we lost to the eventual state champion in the first round, Therrell, and uh, played them pretty well. They were athletic, man. Whoa. Third quarter. Like, we're playing them really well. Had a little run. We went after it. Um, We know our ability to beat a team like that, to be Final Four or Elite Eight kind of team again, is making free throws. But more than that, it's about how many we shoot because that means we've shot good shot selection. We forced their players to guard us. Now they're going to be in foul trouble. We can play defense really well from a free throw line, right? They're going to have to transition without a turnover. So those are probably the three biggest things we talk about the most. We do – we have dominated defensively rebounding and offensively rebounding. We had two games last year. We had over 50 rebounds. And and everybody's like, how did you do that? Well, we're really bad around the hoop at times offensively, so we just get our own offensive rebound. We had 19 offensive rebounds one night, and I told the guys there's a problem with that. We got to get better at shooting. Um, So – those are the biggest three, and like I said, I think they're the biggest three because we, we think they dictate how we play defense. If you can't do – if you can't handle the basketball turnover-wise, you can't play defense. And if you shoot bad shots, I think, number one, that's the worst thing that happens to teams is there's a trust factor. And I have to really be the guardian as the head coach of who shoots where and when. Um, and at the same time, build confidence in guys that they should be shooting it. Man, there are years, Kevin, I feel like I'm screaming at kids to shoot the ball, and I am. I've had guys I've called timeout to tell them to shoot it. And I don't know what's wrong with them. I've still not shot a bad shot at 39 years of age, but for some reason they're worried about shooting a bad one. <laughs> so, I, you know, you, you're, you're starting with the offensive side of it, and I like the free throw amount taken because I feel like it's a really big deal um, whether we're aggressive or not. Now, we, you can tell me if you've done this, but we have not charted paint touches. I've heard college coaches talk a lot about it. Um, and I don't, I don't know if that's worth me charting because I think the other three things are probably gonna, gonna correlate to it. Maybe I should pick it up and do it with them. Um, yeah, I, I tell you what, it's interesting. I mean, those are, those are, I mean, I would love to know we do. And I, I actually stole this from point guard college. We grade our shots, yeah. you know, like nine, seven, five, for, three. There's no, y'all do the same looking for sevens, right? Right, right. We do the same thing. We talk about it. Well, we, 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 we actually really strive on getting nines. We usually don't. We usually get sevens. Uh, so how do you do that? What, what, what are you doing wow. to get those? Well, what kind of shots are you? Hey, I'm looking for nines like you are. But I, I think it depends on what kind of team you have. Um, I had a team a couple of years ago that I think maxed out their potential. And, uh, but we didn't get any nines. They just weren't super athletic. And if we pressed you – we could turn you over and still not beat you to the hoop. So we knew we were settling for fives at times, trying to get to the free throw line. And I think that's your job as a coach. How do I get my players? And as a high school coach where you don't really have move-ins and whatever, I mean, some of these guys act like they've they've been winning the state championship with uh, some kind of magic potion. Um, I know what the magic potion is. It's not your shot selection chart. And, I, I mean, I hate to do that, but I laugh, I laugh at some of them. And that's not in double A, by the way. I don't think that about anybody at our level. But I, I know that, that I'm looking for uh, better shots all the time for my players based on who they are. So, if I've got, like, next year we should have a pretty athletic group. We run a one-three-one full court that I stole from an older coach. And we know we can turn people over. We did it to Farrell that night. That's how we came back on them. And we know our best shots are layups for this group. The better the athlete, 
the better the layup, right? They can get on the front of the press off a turnover, and we're now we're going two-on-one a lot, and we're putting the ball in the hoop. Um, and I think if you don't have a great outside shooting team and you have some athleticism, hey, now what do you do? You know, you've got to turn them over, and you've got to get some layups. Hopefully your kids can score and transition and finish and get better at free throws. I, I had a kid this year that I talked to him in one of our early season meetings, one of the best teammates I've ever coached. And I said, Hey, uh, his name was Jake. Jake, what, uh, what are you going to do about your shooting? I, I don't, I don't shoot coach. Cause I can't shoot coach. And then I had to tell him it's like two or three games in you shot nine free throws in limited minutes. You should be working on your free throws. You hit, you hit like three of them. You should be working on that one thing. And, you know, getting the best shots for your guys that may look different on different teams. Um, maybe I've got a lot of guys who play multi, uh, multiple sports and don't get to shoot as much, or they don't just – maybe they just don't get in the gym like some of my other gym rat groups, which I've, I've got a pretty gym rat group right now. Um, with those groups, you're thinking, how do I get them the best possible shot? Is it on the block, old-school post-up game, which we run a lot, or is it penetrating kick actions? So, I, mean, I just think it's our job as coaches to get the best shots for our teams, and I think that means you've got to learn that over the years and – you got to see this team come in, and hopefully they surprise you and shoot it better than you think, or they uh, they finish around the hoop, make free throws. Yeah, and and I, I want to hear about your offensive system, and I uh, and I just want to tell you, I'm always stealing little things from from everybody, and I, I Rick Torbett was one of the, my best podcasts, and that is that guy that guy is yeah, so is. smart, and uh, um, he has a but he was. Um, I mean, he's great. You can talk to him at any time. He just, he just, and I, we, I talked a lot about our five out offense that we run. We actually started the season coach with, um, I have a great point guard sophomore by setting a lot of screens, trying to get her maximum shots. Like, all right, we're going to give our best player all, right, all the shots. And no duh. I mean, the, the other team knows that too. Um, so and we, you know, we struggled with that. And then we didn't start playing well until our team became what I call everybody touched the ball. Everybody was and the team that just that turnaround from that team concept of everybody touching, everybody cutting, everybody moving. She got more shots. Tell me how you build your offensive. What, what is your offensive system transition uh, five out? What do you well, all we, do? We run four out almost exclusively. Um, and that's going to depend on how many post players we have. Let me say this about the five out. My son's in the gym with one of his buddies, and they're sixth graders. I believe everybody should learn the five out. But just because I don't want that kid who's sixth or seventh grade, like we see all the time, getting pigeonholed into being a post player. I don't know if Rick said – I didn't listen to, to Coach Torbett's um, uh, rundown on that, but I believe that's where the Europeans and a lot of people have gotten ahead of us. Everybody's a decision maker in the five out. So – Learning that, learning that early yeah. on is really important. And our middle school guys do a great job of that. Um, and we're trying to get better at it. But we run four out. We run fast break, traditional-looking fast break. We do not run a true secondary break. We, we talk about reversing it. We really believe our best secondary break is any time we can pass and cut or we can drive and pitch and we switch sides of the floor. Um, I, over the years, I've tried to run traditional secondary or some kind of UNC-looking sec secondary, you know, and Carolina break stuff. And it just, I just feel like it's, you know, constipated a little bit. Um, and it takes away driving <laughs> lanes, especially the bigger we're getting. I, I think kids are getting bigger. Um, I think the biggest deal is teach them how to move the ball from one side of the floor 
to the other. You know, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, so that's our system coming in. I, you, if you've never studied the guy at Emory, Zimmerman, he's got really, really okay. – if you can ever get on and watch YouTube clips of them, they run a fast break system where they dribble across the floor. And we've tried to emulate some of their terminology. First guy down the court's the pipe man. We just call the, the – I mean, we call the second post player coming down the court. We call him the, uh, the uh, trail man like everybody does. But we're looking to push the ball on the highway lines. We use the middle of the third – the middle third, we call it the highway. Don't push it down the middle of the highway. You push it down the shoulder of the highway with your inside hand. We're looking for that guy who's running the pipe down the middle. We teach him to get down there. And if there's nobody down there running the middle of the court ahead of the pack, we tell our guards to run there. Somebody needs to be – You go weak side block, or how do you run your – we run our, our guy weak side block, or you go straight down the rim we go run, middle. down the rim run. And, and – and we talk gotcha. about running to the hoop. But uh, most of the time, that kid's going to get fanned out of there. Um, one of the things I learned, I heard a guy talk about last year, and I can't remember what, what uh, G League team he coached, was levels. So we've, we've started talking about level one and two. Uh, level one is, and we, we started talking about that last year. Level one is we always want to push, and we want to pass across half court if we can. We know we're playing better, faster. Yeah. I think PGC does a lot of their drills in their camps. If you ever get to watch one of their camps, they do a lot of constraints to their drills, which are awesome. Yes. And yes. Uh, one of the things they do is you've got to pass across half court. Well, we started implementing that in level one. If we pass across half court, we're not running a set play from that. You know, We're trying to score. We're attacking. Um, we're attacking while defense is trying to transition. And we – Another PGC thing we talk about is nobody plays good transition defense. You know, we always ask them who plays good transition defense, and they, they can tell you, nobody. So if we can pitch across half court, we know we're playing ahead. And, and that's sloppy looking a lot of times early on. My, my team this year was real sloppy doing it. Um, they were younger, but they were, they were intentional about looking up the floor, peek up the floor, look. But if we dribble across, that's level two. That's any action that we might – Ball screen, we have a middle ball screen and replace will run a lot. Right. Um, or we dribble across and we pass and we cut. And, um, you know, Kevin, I'd like to get better at the X's and O's. We run a little bit of a thing I call zag, which is real popular. Uh, the, it's, a, it's really a, you're lifting the backside post player off the, off the, I would say, the 45-degree ball screen and your guards are backdooring off the ball reversal and you get the, the ball screen again on the other side. It's a continuity ball screen offense. And we've tried that some this year. Sure. Um, and one reason we tried it, it's the same reason I run a zone on defense now, is because we realize people are going to run ball screens against us. We better learn how to guard them and we've got to get better at them in practice to practice against it. And then um, – so I, biggest offensive philosophy is we, we work on the layers that Rick Torbett taught from the very beginning, the penetration rules. And we, we're doing that in everything. We finished a workout today. We're still doing penetrate and pitch. And, uh, you know, if you've never taught a full day of school, you wouldn't relate to this, but you have. You, I, I forgot to do busted. I forgot to do busted. <laughs> Kid got hurt in my last period of class. Yeah. And I'm sprinting across in the middle of the workout. I sprinted across the uh, courtyard to make sure – that nothing crazy was going on. And I'm, oh, man, I forgot. When I came back in the gym, they were doing different versions of the push and pull, you know, read and react stuff. And I didn't tell them. You know, I thought, well, I was kind of – Yeah, you got I was, Yeah, oh, you got them. Hey, I was surprised. <laughs> All right, I was surprised. Let's put it that way. I don't think I, I trained them necessarily. They just knew um, if we work on this, coach is going to let us shoot three-pointers in the drill. So, that's why they were doing it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
Um, well, I love that. I mean, I, I love picking the brains of coaches because you know what? Everybody does something a little bit different, don't they? Um, where do you send your three man? My our two runs wide. Our now, our girls, we're not a great three point shooting team, so we're looking for layups. I send my three to the rim. What do you um, do? What, actually, what? actually, to the corner. Actually, to the corner. My my post goes to the weak side rim. Yeah. Um, so what do you what do you you mean you dribble across? Are you looking for a three ball on the weak side, <laughs> or on your fast well, break? We, we, when we if we dribble across, we've got two or three calls, and I we talked about it this year. At one point, we had put in Phoenix, which we called level two last summer, where you just hand it off and you get a ball screen and it rolls, and you're playing four out from there. Um, but we run we run our guards. We don't really call them numbers. You're not going to hear a number. Um, because we want our post players to be interchangeable. We want our point guard. Look, I'd like to have three point guards on the court at one time. Whoever's got it needs to go. You know, that's, I think that is the best, um, the best uh, prescription for that kind of style is, hey, everybody can look up the floor and play. But we run to the corners on both corners. And we're running to the rim, we're running to the ball side block, and we're looking for the post player if he's there. Sometimes you get him on the cut, sometimes you get him on the post. Um, and we, we work on hitting that, that sideline pass. We work on being on the corner. We, we call it the shoulder or the side of the highway. We're looking in the middle of the court, trying to create an angle so we can see that, that uh, pipe man running. And then, and then we, do speci- uh, we specify other things in the middle of what we call blitz, which is our fast break. We skip the ball post to, you know, to the post to the trail man, and then we dump post to post, high-low game. And, and then we work right. on skipping it and going backdoor dribble at. Then we work on uh, reversing it and then going penetrate plus two. I'll call it penetrate plus two. You know, I'll tell them, hey, I want uh, ball reversal, uh, penetrate plus two, plus another penetrate to score. And that's a lot. Now they're having to think a lot. They're having to really compose it. And it's meant I have to be more patient. If you mess it up, this is with no defense. If you mess it up, then you mess it up. Um, and they're coaching each other on how to get through it, especially the younger guys. But those penetration rules, um, and then the post players, that, that's the hardest thing to negotiate, I think, for everybody in read and react or any offense is, how do I play with two or three bigs? You know, how do I play with one big in this world of, of basketball? How do I play with two and then guard people on the other end? Um, so, and, and I think if you put two inside like the old school days, it just gets really, really crowded, really, really fast. It's crowded. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, unless there's you know six, six nine, six ten, I guess. Even then, these days, you don't see you don't see how many teams do you go against that you have bigs inside. Hey, did we drop right there? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's okay. Hey, maybe my question was so poor <laughs> that, you know, sometimes it just goes up. Uh, I was talking about, I think the days of bigs inside are gone. I, I don't see even like teams like there. I don't, I don't remember what there. I saw them a couple of times play, but their bigs were not, I don't know if they were posted. They, they were playing a lot. They almost had five out. Those guys were just athletic and they all. I tell you what, they the had rack. two guys that could score around the hoop, though. When we scouted them, traditional post players but they were skilled out front too so you didn't notice it 
they would run actions to get them the ball in the block. They work on that before the game. I watched them work on it. And, uh, hey, we just did that workout with three guards and a big, and we did the same stuff the whole workout. And we actually worked on post moves. And I always tell them, you say, you're not a post player. Well, what happens if you get an offensive rebound and you're in the lane? You are now a post player. You say, I'm not a guard. What happens if we get a turnover and you're on the perimeter? Or we get a turnover on defense and you've got to handle the ball. You're now a guard. So we do – you know, I've promised them recently, we're doing all the same stuff with everybody. You know, the big guys love that, right? The big guys love that. They, they want <laughs> exactly. To they want to shoot it from two yeah. seats. They love that. <laughs> I, I think the traditional post player with his back to the basket is not dying. I just think he's going to do everything else too. I, I, I think that guy's still going to have value. They're still going to post LeBron up, man, and get him the ball. I just think he's got to be able to shoot the three too and make decisions out front like a LeBron or the European guys tend to do now. Um, and I think they're going to have to be able to turn and shoot because defenses are figuring out if you're going to put a guy down there and that's all he does, they don't have to guard him. He's not going to stretch the defense. So, I do think that's a big wave, but it's because everybody's getting so skilled, which makes it so much more fun to watch. I mean, watching a big six-foot, 11, seven-footer handle out front is amazing, right? Left hand, right hand, one hand passes, shooting a three. Um, it's just a lot of fun to watch right now. Yeah, and I saw, like, last night, you know, in the, in the... – well, the girls' game too, in the McDonald's All American game, those guys were—they were posting up, they were shooting three. They're—they're they're so skilled. They're more skilled nowadays than they ever ever been. Um, but I'm not sure. There's there's still something missing from the old school as far as the toughness goes. I don't I don't I don't know. Tell me about toughness. You you think kids are as tougher when you play? I think we all sometimes we always think that they're tougher when we're playing. <laughs> But yeah. what do you think? What do you, what do you think now? Is, are kids changing? Are they getting more skilled but less tough? What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think there's a whole lot of different factors. I could get lost in the weeds on that question. I, I think we got some. We have some really tough kids um, at times, and then other times not so much. Uh, I do think it's changing. I, I think the game of basketball has become more, you know, freedom of, of movement kind of deal. You watch those old clips on Twitter about Michael Jordan getting mugged. And you know what the Pistons the Pistons would do to <laughs> yeah. him, or the way I grew up playing in the nineties. Um, you know, sure. I fouled out my last college game ever, and the head coach looked at me and said, "You had to, didn't you?" We were down twenty to to Faulkner, who I think won this, the national championship the year before. I said, "Yeah, I had to," but you know, I probably fouled fifteen times in the nineties to get five. And today, the freedom of movement with it, you know, I, I think there's a reality that the game does look softer. I also think it looks softer because we shoot it better. I think more guys shoot the three better. And as the floor has gotten stretched more, there's so much more space to create from. And I think it just looks less messy. Does that make sense? Yeah, I really yeah, for do. sure. I think we're quicker. I think we transition better. And I think the three-pointer has just changed. I don't, I don't remember who was talking about that on a podcast. But man, it's changed everything. It stretches everything we do. Um, and so I think that's the real, the real difference. But toughness culturally – yeah, I think there is maybe a different level of toughness. And uh, I read a lot of Tim Elmore, who's a generational guy, you know, growingleaders.com. Um, and he talks a lot about how we have, we have lawnmower parents that are cutting the grass in front of the kids, um, you know, prepare the yeah. child for the path, not the, the path for the child. I think we have a, an ability to see more. You know, everything on our campus is on camera now. 
even cameras that can hear. And I, you know, and I think <laughs> everything is seen and we, our kids are, are, we think our kids are fragile. Um, and we all do if we have children, we love them dearly. Um, but I think that's something that's happening. So we're parenting them longer. Adolescence is starting earlier and it's ending later. And it used to be a three or four year deal. You know, kids at 16 sometimes went to work in the mill down here and, and drove by my house in a nicer truck than my parents have. And today that's not, that job's not out there. And, um, you know, I think the, the, the nature of our work, I think that makes us a little softer. I'm a, I'm a teacher. They think we're soft, right? Um, right. And I think kids as a whole are growing up differently. Some are growing up with grandparents um, and who are heroes and having raised their, their grandkids, um, which is a completely different role than what they should have. And I, and I think that's, that's all factoring in. Um, the divorce rate, is, you know, we say it's 50%. I don't even know if that rate matters as much anymore as it, as it matters that our kids are growing up with one uh, adult in the home or split homes. About half of our kids are doing that. And I just think there's less accountability and there's more protection. And that sounds kind of like a goofy mix, but I think we hold our kids less accountable ever, than ever to, to do the things that we used to be held accountable to do. And then, um, and I think it's tougher to be a teenager right now. I know that's not popular to probably say, but I think it's hard. I think it's really, really hard. They're walking around with these, um, picture takers <laughs> and video cameras. I mean, think about Kevin. I, I'm glad we didn't have that when I was in high school. Um, yeah, they're almost given too many choices. It way, way too many. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's hard. I know I have a hard time with that. I know kids that definitely have a hard time with just too many opportunities to make mistakes. And, and, I, and I really think it's factored into um, kids' perceptions of what they look like and and uh, what they look like matters more. I, we've all, we, we were always like that when we were young, right? When I was in, playing in the 90s, we worried about cutting our sleeves off and making it look jagged with a pair of scissors. And now they worry about short shorts. And um, we're always worried about what we look like. But I think there's a level of courage that's needed today in kids that's never really been, you know, in a high school basketball setting at least. There's a level of courage. Some of them have got to be willing to step out on the court and, not, and truly not worry about what their friends think. I don't mean like, you know, that they, they'll put it on a Snapchat story that I don't care what any of y'all think. And meanwhile, they're, you know, they're putting it on Snapchat because they do care what everybody thinks. Um, it's, it's a level of courage and bravery that I think our whole culture and society needs because everything's on camera. You get made look stupid on the basketball court. Your friend's got it on video. You get dunked on, your friend has it on video. And uh, you're on you're on, on the world wide web, man. So I, I'm glad they didn't have that when I was in college. I got dunked on a bunch. <laughs> You're saying it's fear. I think it's a natural fear of, of being exposed, you know, and I think that's the authenticity and being genuine. And at the same time being, um, just being, uh, you know, being consistent, you know, and, and trying to empathize with them. I think that's the one thing we don't do well with young people is we don't empathize for them. We don't try to see where they're coming from. Um, I'm the worst about it sometimes. And uh, because it turns into, it turns into we're making excuses for them if we're not careful. We're justifying um, what they're not doing right. And I don't, I don't want to be like that, but I think we've got to understand what they're going through. And, um, and I, I think the parents right now, I've got several really good families in our, our program a lot of these parents are different than they were just five years ago, Kevin. 
they do not let their kids when they get a phone have an access to whatever device, right? They don't have they don't allow them to download certain things. Now that our technology's catching up to um catching up to the creativity of teenagers, we can block a lot of it. And at least we can try to. <clears throat> so a lot of that's a lot of that's my speculation or my just my take on it. Well, the way I've seen high school kids change in 17 years, um, which the last five I think are a lot different than the first 10. You know, I know that's only 15 years, but the last five, <laughs> yeah, that one teach me. Right. The last five have have been a lot faster toward that direction, I think. And that's when the the mission statement came in for us was be we're going to be as intentional as this culture is. You know, we're going to be as vulnerable as this culture is fake. We're going to try to get it out there in front of people. Right. And, and coach, don't you believe that of course, change is happening so fast now that your mission statement could change five it years could. from now. And, and we need to go back the first year we made this, my assistant coach and I, st- uh, we stood in, a, in the office on days like today, actually in the spring and thought, okay, what does it need to be? And I think you have to allow the kids to set their own standards. Even on that one, we, we have copied TJ Rosine's, um, commitment statement culture um and we've done that this year i went back to that more um just letting kids say it out loud hey i, I am a trustworthy teammate you know um that way they get to be autonomous there they get to say i'm in control of my future and when they don't measure up to their own standard hey that's on them they have to address why they didn't measure up to their own standard um that's so much easy that sounds so much prettier than it is that is not pretty, you know, having commitment statements or a mission statement or it's just not. Um, and I, that cultural stuff is really, really hard. And uh, we can talk about how we do it, but sometimes we're just not good at it either. Right. And that. Yeah. We, you got to practice it right. all the time. You're right. Yeah. And you mentioned it before fighting for your culture every day. And of course, TJ, TJ is a master of that. I had him on a podcast and I could have, I could have spoken to him forever on that and um you're right though man you and it sounds like you're doing it out there man it's it's a bit by bit you're trying to make a difference in those kids live man that's awesome hey coach my my last uh question is this i hate to go back to i i I know we kind of we kind of branched off a little bit my last question is this coaches out there want to know about your practices oh wait a second i want to know about your practices because i'm here trying to trying to pick up things Tell me about how you run practice because our my practice is kind of the lifeblood of my program. How do you design your practices, and then kind of give me an example of a great practice for you? Yeah, that's a great question. That that is also Mary. I mean, uh, dating the model and Mary and the mission, right? We use the we change <laughs> it every year a little bit. I think there's one thing that I do now, and I've kept some of the terminology for consistency, but we start practice. And we set the tone in practice. We stole um, drills over the years. And one of the things we started stealing was how point guard college starts every session to their camps. They work on, uh, on, on I think they call it some kind of form shooting. We start every practice in their, in their leadership lines, six different lines, three at the main goals. And we have to get them in two minutes. They have to get up to a seven, like just to get loose too. And then we go into our five-out pass-and-cut motion, our dribble-drive stuff, half-court stuff typically. And then we roll right into full-court offense to try to make it flow. Um, but that's, that's the beginning of practice. Um, and after that, I got to tell you, Kevin, I'm, I'm, I'm a rare bird. I once heard the, the girls coach at Louisville, is it Jeff Waltz? 
uh, heard him speak at a yeah. clinic. Uh, maybe, yeah, yes, maybe one of yes. Gene Durden's clinics um, years ago. And um, he was talking about how his personality, he's not good with a practice plan. And I'm not either. You got to see my practice plans. They look like somebody slept on them. Um, and he <laughs> set me free a little bit because he said, hey, just have an idea of what you're doing. But he said, my personality is I don't ever have a practice plan. Now, I, I have a practice plan. I, I'm so ADDDD that I got to have one. And I have my teams, usually my leadership teams. This year, we kept the same teams all season. So, a junior or seniors in charge, and they're playing to win that day, win the day. And, uh, you know, the coaches pick that at the end. But we transition into full court shell work, and then we go into a lot of skills. We're trying to get – one of the things we committed to years ago was shooting more at practice. We want to shoot more at practice. We want to shoot as much as we possibly can. And I don't know who talked about that. I cannot remember who talked about that. We do a lot of ball handling, sideline ball handling. It's the hardest part of practice. And that's the reason I went into that leadership style thing where their team's got to get loud and talk to each other and echo everything we say. Um, because we do believe – I believe this. If you can't handle the basketball, it doesn't matter how good a shooter you are. You know, you're going to be running between tops of the keys, trailing them as they turn it over. Um, and then we do – we break it into half-court work a lot. Where we, By the end of the year, we're working a lot on our, our zones. We run two or three different zones, and then we work on our man-to-man -man defense every day if we can in shell drill. That, that tends to be the – I think the Patino lines, as I call them, which are – years ago we had a kid ask us, why do we run Latino lines? He thought the entire year, because our gym is so loud acoustically, he thought we called them Latino. And I, I was like, man, it's Patino, you know, Rick Patino. And uh, he didn't know who that – he didn't know who it was. Um, and uh, we do those every day. It's where you face the line across from you and you cross over, you dip, or we, we do different kinds of ball handling drills and that, passing drills and that. And we're talking about sometimes 24 kids together at one practice because we just don't have that – it's so kind of a shuttle, shuttle line kind yeah. of on both sides. Yeah, we're going, yeah, we're okay. going windshield yeah. wiper side to yeah. side against each other. And they're crossing in front. Okay. And then, you know, I, I think the defensive side of it is, and this is where people may not agree, I don't do defense in the summer at all. You might play us in the summer, and I'm hollering about defense and emphasizing it, but I really don't have time in the summer in a double-A school with kids playing football or whatever to go over defense. So hopefully by Christmas right. time, we're getting better at man-to-man -man defense. Um. And we're getting better at when it matters most. But our practices, I hope, you know, because if you're like me, I love practice. You get me excited thinking about it. I go to bed thinking about <laughs> what we're going to do the next day. Practice plans and ideas are scribbled everywhere. I mean, there's pieces of paper all around my house. My wife picks them up and says, are you keeping this or what? And then I jam them all into one folder in my desk every year. I've just got these mounds of practice plans that look like, again, look like I wadded them up and threw them because I probably did some days. Got so into it. Um, and then we do a lot of shooting at, at the six goals and we compete in that. And then one of the things we've added to most of those six goal things after doing the six lines on the sideline is the Patino lines. We've added a lot of finishing stuff. Even with no defense, we want to work on inside hand. Um, Sylvia Hatchell, years ago at a, at a Glacier Clinic, she went over all this stuff, and it was blocker behind, blocker in front. I didn't know what she was saying because of her accent. Like, what, what does she mean? But it's the <laughs> ten toes to the baseline stuff, and it's the stretch-out layup, and it's the inside hand. And I'm, I'm sitting here going up. I'm sitting here sure. moving, Kevin, as we're talking. I'm, I'm sitting here moving, you know, um, because we, <laughs> we know that in a game, uh, you can get you a shot in the lane, but you got to finish it. You can get you a turnover, but you got to make the layup. 
And uh, we try to celebrate those things that we're working on. Um, Sam Allen's, you know, one of my teammates as well. He had something years ago that I, I, I stole from him. I, call, I still call them blue-collar lines. We'll occasionally do the finishing lines there, the spank the baby moves and the boom one-two pull-ups. And I think our practices are about, I would say, 30 to 45 minutes of skill work, and we want most of that to be shooting. We, we've realized we can do about three minutes of patino line, sideline to sideline, and the kids think it lasted for four yeah. days because it is so <laughs> intense. Um, so that, and that's something I got from my dad. Twi- and coach, why are they intense? I'm, I'm trying to image, why are they intense? How do you get them to be intense? It's kind of, I know it's hard sometimes to describe things without seeing it. Um, talk about that intensity. I, I just, I well, just want to hear it. It's because we make them do it. <laughs> you know, I'm going to make you right. do it. This is not class. The state of Georgia does not say you have to be here. This is, this is basketball, and you chose to be here, and you're here to inspire our community. You're here to, to do the right thing and improve. Um, and all the cliches can fit right now, but I, I believe that's what makes Gene Durden so good. That's, I believe that's what made my dad so good. Years, years ago, yeah, I heard Kelvin yeah, Sampson sure. say that. Hey, it's, it's what you make them do that matters. you got to make them do it. And, and I think kids w- will resent you years later if you don't make them do it if you don't teach them how to go further than they, they think their comfort level is at the time. I do, I do not want that. I don't, I don't want yeah. years later a kid to say, how come you didn't push me more? Um, so I, I think the practice needs to be more intense at times. I, I've, over the years, I have mellowed a little bit at practice. And um, I'm looking for the guys to shoot the ball well, to be prepared for the next day's opponent. Um, but mostly to keep getting better. I, I just think if you're not doing ball handling every day, it's some part of practice, and you're not doing shooting every day at some part of practice. If I really believe that ball handling and shooting are the first two things that are, that are important, because if we can't do those two, we can't play defense. You know, you can't play defense from a turnover. You can't play good defense from bad shots. And I, I just believe if we do those two every day, the guys understand how important it is. Um, it makes everything else better. So, hey, I, I'd like to st- sit here and tell you I'm a defensive coach because I thought I was a tough, gritty defender and took charges and all that. But the longer I've coached, I realized that if my team is not good on offense, what's the point in guarding ourselves at practice every day? I mean, iron sharpens iron. We better be good at offense first, and then we can get better at at defense. Um, And if you've got a young team that's really, really bad at offense and you're working on defense only, you're just – you know what? You're just guaranteeing they're not they're going to be really really bad at offense the next few years too. I mean that that's a philosophy that I picked up from my dad and over the years for me too. It's about shooting and dribbling and practice. Um, and I've been a head coach 12 years now, so there's not much I still do that I I learned from him or other coaches. Um, but that one thing, like you said, make them do it. You got to make them do it. And the days they don't feel like making them do it, you got to make them do it. And the days I don't feel like making them do it, I got to still make them do it. So, yeah, that's a great point. Coach, how do you handle mistakes? Are you the one that you make kids? I mean, um, we do a lot of, um, you know, we, we do a lot of, you know, technique things, but we, we, we rely on effort in our, we, we, you know, we're the hustling Titans. So if you're not, if you don't have effort, boy, you're, you're going to, you're going to do sprints, push ups, things like that. They're held accountable for their effort. Yeah. What do you do? That's part of your intensity, right? right? 
How do you do that? Well, uh, it's a very, very calculated game of go crazy when I'm mad. Um, I'm just joking. It's not calculated at all. (laughs) But the better leadership you have out of your players, and I mean this, the better leadership you have out of your players, they know. They know the standard. Um, And this year was a a great example of a year where we didn't have exceptional leadership at practice. We had three seniors who were playing. Um, Two of them had never had a whole lot of experience. And the third guy had torn his knee up two years in a row as a senior point guard, and he he finally got to play one year. So, I felt like I was pushing them all, dragging, pulling them, right? You can't push a string. You have to pull a string. And there are times where you have to pull them. And – and I didn't do that well earlier on. I think, I think your question is, you know, how do I, I – I do punish. We do go to the line to clear your mind, as the old coaches say. Um, we do try to build in at practice shooting drills. If We have a black and white or a blue and white, depending on what color jersey we're wearing. If you don't win a shooting drill, you run a three. Even, off there's, even after every shooting drill, which is two minutes long or one minute long, you run. And I don't even time the runs. So there's some consequence there. It's a positive reinforcement there. Um, it's about getting in shape too. Um, I'm not trying to demoralize anybody, but there is some level of, hey, I want to win. And what you find out is that running doesn't bother the winners. If they lose, they're right back up, getting the balls ready for the next section of penetrating pitch, as I call it, or the baseline pitch. Um, they're getting ready and going after it. So, look, we're trying to make them compete. You know, that's something that's one of our core values is competing together. And then um, the second part of that is, man, it wears you out sometimes, doesn't it? It's trying to make them, make them keep fighting in those drills, make them keep fighting in the shooting stuff. Right. And that's where good the, the, the player ownership and the player leadership comes in, oh, yeah. right? Over uh, you have leaders within, within your system, man. You, you got it made. And it sounds like you're building that. You got your young team coming back, man. I'm looking forward to seeing hope, you guys. I hope we play well. Uh, I'll say this: if you coach at a real at a real high school that has up and down, especially a small school, if you have one injury, you know there are going to be years where you're having to live with you're having to live with restarting. Or in this past year, we got to restart a little bit, like rechange our program. It felt like we were young, and the two years before that, we had great kids who, like I said, maximized their potential. I think they did everything they could. Um, but there were times where I felt like I wasn't doing them, I wasn't doing them a great job. But they, you talk about leadership, they would run on the court, and they could have gone through practice, asked me what was on the practice plan, and I had two or three of these guys that I miss dearly still today. They they knew, look, we got off the bus. They knew what I was expecting, and if somebody young did something stupid, a couple of them got out of their comfort zones. They're real quiet kids, and they got after each other. Like, hey man, you don't do that. And um, this past year, there's that gap. You know, where you find yourself training people again, where you had you kind of had a natural progression, and then this year it was like, man, I got we're gonna have to teach some of them. Yeah, coach, I I, have, I mean, I appreciate everything everything you're sharing, man. Um, um, I got so many notes right here from you on that. I really appreciate it. Um, the model way, man. You got you guys are doing a terrific job. And I'm going to try my best to keep up with you guys and uh, try to keep up with us too. Let's, let's keep, uh, let's try to build a relationship here. Cause I always enjoy kind of getting back to all my, my coaches and so forth, but thanks again for yeah, sharing. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. Um, hey, do you recommend any, um, if you have any other people that have been uh, great mentors in your life and so forth, uh, please recommend them. I would love to interview them. 
I know you have quite a few. If you do, man, please contact me with some yeah, great people. Yeah, a lot people. of the guys on the circle. I mean, a lot of the guys in my circle growing up or the last few years, you've already interviewed my dad. Um, my dad would be a great one if you can if you can pin him down because um, he's. I, I, I've been trying to get him. He's he's tough, man. He, and he's, well, he's tough coaching. to get, but uh, I'm still yeah, trying to get Yeah, he's coaching AAU right now and doing training sessions almost every night. So, he, he is really right. tough to get to at this time. Yeah, absolutely on that. Thanks for sharing, Coach. I appreciate it. Hey, we got to watch some hoops tonight, man. Some good games going on yes, tonight. Yes, we do. Who's on, who's on? What time does it start? Uh, 7, I think 7.25, I think I saw. Um, I think it's Gonzaga, Louisville, I think it is. No. Uh, not not Louisville, uh, Gonzaga. Um, Louisville's. Gonzaga. Louisville's out. Louisville's out. Yeah, Louisville's out. Gonzaga, Florida State. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My son could tell me. I have to just ask him. <laughs> exactly, man. I can't remember all the games. Coach, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it, and I uh, wish you the best, man. Keep the great Thanks, work. Thanks, Kevin. Up. appreciate it. All right. Take yeah. care. Thank you. All right, bye. Coaches, how are you? Hey, make sure to check out my friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. They were a main sponsor of my Legends Clinic last year, and I got to see in person why the Dr. Dish is undoubtedly the best shooting machine on the market. I'm super excited to get one in my program here soon. As a matter of fact, it's already in the process of being ordered. The technology and versatility of the machine are unmatched. Make sure to check out their product lineup and their new Dr. Dish CT machine on their website at drdishbasketball.com and follow them on Twitter and Instagram at drdishbball. Mention this podcast and you can save $300 extra on your next Dr. Dick, Dr. Dish purchase. Get one soon. This is Coach Kevin Furtado of the Championship Vision Podcast. Hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, this is Jeff Jasper, head basketball coach at Pascack Valley High School in New Jersey. If you haven't listened to Kevin's championship podcast, you're missing out. This guy's got a passion for the game, great insights, and he interviews some pretty cool people. I must say he interviewed me. I had a lot of fun. Best to all of you. Take care.